As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Hey, hey, I am so excited to have you with us today. And wow, do we have a program for you. By the time we finish today, you're going to know how to build your ideal office for your practice. You're going to have insights into the building process. But more importantly, you're going to feel empowered to take the next steps. And I'm so excited. We have a local architect, award-winning architect, by the way, Steve Kiki here today, who's built multiple dental offices over the last 30 years, 38 years. And he's going to help share some of his knowledge and insights. And Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, my gosh. I, I am so excited to just just pick your brain because I, I'm a big proponent if a, a doctor is able to, to being able to get out there and own some real estate as part of building and maximizing their, their net worth. And I, you know, before we, we kind of dive into, you know, should you buy, should you own, what does building out your office space look like? Give me a little bit of background of, of who you are and, and how you got started being an architect. Uh, well, um I decided at an early age that uh, that's what I wanted to do to make a living. You know, I probably uh, my very first drafting class in junior high, about seventh grade, saw some blueprints on the wall of an A-frame and thought, oh, I could, you know, if I have to work for a living, I guess that's probably something I could do and pretty much uh, went went right after it and uh, graduated from high school early, went to Cal Poly, uh, got my degree. Um, Got my uh, architect's license at a pretty early age. Initially started my own firm in 1988. <clears throat> Did uh, multiple dental offices in that iteration. Then uh, joined a design build entity in 2000 as a vice president and head of uh, their architecture arm. And did that for 11 years. and. Gosh, we did uh, dozens of medical facilities uh, during that time, a lot of ambulatory surgery centers. So for the oral surgeons, uh, you know, that kind of came into play, the whole OSHPOD thing, but a lot of general dentistry and some, some specialty stuff too. Since 2011, uh, I've been back to uh, sole proprietorship and uh, I have a nice little army of helpers and we're still doing uh, medical projects when they come along. And okay, you especially like dental offices. Yeah. Oh, what is it about dental that, that you enjoy? Well, again, um, you know, we talked uh, in our, you know, kind of primer discussions about the importance of the, the equipment supplier and the role that they play um, in, in that whole uh, process. And they help the, the dentist, uh, you know, uh, with a lot of the practical decisions so 
Okay, excellent. Now, you know, a, a lot of times uh, the doctors I'm working with, they're they're going through a decision, right? They, they may have bought their practice and they're leasing some space and their their lease is coming up and they're thinking, you know, it'd be really nice if I, I, I bought some real estate, if I bought a building and, 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 and built it out. What are the things that the, 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 the doctor, right? What are the things you should be thinking of if you're looking to acquire some real estate or some space in a, a strip mall or, you know, even an existing office? What are, what are the considerations and things you should be thinking through as you, as you may be considering ownership of your office and, and stepping away from leasing? Well, um, I think most of your inline uh, tenant opportunities and multi-tenant buildings are unfortunately uh, limited to, <clears throat> to leasing. Um, I have done a lot of projects in the past that we actually did commercial condos. So you could actually purchase that and there there are a lot of buildings in our town and I think probably in other communities it's probably even more prevalent where you can actually purchase uh, a portion of a, of a much larger building. I think as far as ownership beyond that, you're pretty much looking at either buying a shell and only uh, developing a portion of it and leasing out the rest or, or maybe even a, a ground up just for yourself on a smaller property. Um, I think one of the things that you're going to see going forward uh, is a lot of uh, infill. I know that's in the, with all of the green um, restrictions that are being put on building, especially in California now. Uh, infill is a big priority. So um, you're going to be seeing a lot more of these kind of leftover and forgotten about properties uh, getting developed because there are going to be some benefit to that in terms of approvals and the like from the various cities. Okay. I, what are the issues that a, a dentist should be thinking through if, if they're looking at, at space? What, what are some primary considerations before we, we jump into the, the design phase here? Well, I, I think uh, number one is uh, your, your target clientele. Um, I think you want to be in the, in the same neighborhood as uh, the people uh, the patients you want to attract, um, you know, so, um, or at least a place they're comfortable being. So, and that can be new, that can be old, depending on, on where you are. And I think as long as it's done well, either one will work. So that's where, you know, an infant project might be in an older neighborhood, but probably more centralized, um, and then once you start getting out into the suburbs, then, you know, that's that's when the, the new is probably going to be more more prevalent. OK, so so really kind of thinking through your, your patient base or, you know, who you who you want your patients to be is a great first step because you want to build something that's going to attract your your ideal patient and really match with who you're, you're, you're trying to work with. I think so. Excellent. So now let's say we, we've got a couple of locations and, you know, oh, maybe we have a shell, maybe we have, you know, uh, you know, the real estate agent has also brought you, you know, an existing dental office that, that you can buy, but it's not quite, you know, what you want. What are some things, once again, that, that you should be thinking through as you're looking at spaces in, in you know, let's say you got two locations, you know, both of them are in, in places that are going to going to attract your ideal patient. But one, we've got you know a total build out versus doing a rehab. What are some what are some things, issues, and considerations we should be looking at in those two scenarios? Well, <clears throat> I, again, I think if it's a rehab, I think you need to look at 
at your practice and how you operate, how you, um, you know, where you sit re relative to the patient. And again, that's sort of depending on, on what you're doing. Um, it's different from one uh, specificity to another in some cases. Um, so I think you just need to see if you can make it work for yourself. And then depending on uh, how old the property is and something like that, um, the ADA rules are changing constantly. So that would probably be the other concern where you might find that you're having to do a little more teardown than you initially thought, either to make bathrooms accessible, make hallways wider, make doorways wider, things like that. Um, you know, again, depending on, it's probably if it's built in the last 15 years, it's close to okay. Um, but again, they issue a new building code every three years and the ADA rules get tighter and tighter every three years. So, okay. All right. And so, then as yeah. far as a, a shell, um, <clears throat> you know, that's pretty much a, a blank slate and pretty much in any scenario like that for your, your plumbing and getting your, your uh, junction boxes to your chairs, you're going to have to cut the floor and, you know, 100% of the time in a dental office, the first thing you're going to do is going to go in and cut up the concrete floor. So at least you don't have to do that in a remodel or not a lot. You might have to shift some plumbing, but not a lot. Now, you know, I know a lot of times that this task can feel daunting to a doctor, you know, or, or they may oversimplify the process. So, you know, years ago, my wife and I wanted to build some pillars and put new lights in the front of our house. And so, you know, my neighbor had some great pillars. They looked awesome. I said, who built those for you? And he gave me a name of someone and I contacted the person. And I said, hey, I, I want to build some, some pillars in the front of my house and put some lights on them. He said, great, I'd be happy to help you out. Where are your plants? And I thought, huh, plants? I just want, and he's like, no, I need plans before I can build anything. And that's really where you step in, isn't it? Is building and designing and giving some plans to someone so that, that you know what things are going to look like and, and, and really have a good sense of how everything's going to function. I, I would say, yeah, that's my primary function. I actually uh, think it's beneficial before a lease is signed or a sales document is signed that I have a, a go at it. Um, in, in the case of, you know, a lease in an inline building, obviously that, that shell building is there. So it's been through a zoning approval process and, and you're probably not going to have to do any special zoning process uh, to get the dental office in there. Maybe if they have to check the parking, you might have a little process to go through for that. Um, but in a ground up, you're going to want to make sure that the zoning is, is right. Um, and that the property is big enough to fit the size of office you want and accommodate the parking that you need for that site. And it's pretty much really that simple. It's it's just math. <laughs> you, know, you know what? I, I think you just hit on something really important that I want to dive into just, just briefly because it okay. really is important. Eh? I, I, and I think some of our listeners may have missed it. But you said before you sign a lease, before you sign a sales agreement, it's a good idea to have you or someone else take a look to make sure that the space is actually going to work. Why is that? And why does that matter so much? What are some issues someone can run into, right? If I sign a lease and I come to you and say, Steve, I've got this great lease, check out this building. I want to put a dental office in it. What are some issues I might run into if you haven't taken a look at it first? Um, well, the, 
the actual configuration or shape of the building may not lend itself to your layout. An existing building, probably the exterior doors are existing for the most part. So that's going to dictate some of the flow and depending on the size of the office, if, it, if it's big enough that a second exits required, then it, that also has to exit properly. Um, again, I've got a situation already used up all of their parking and so now I've got a tenant that wants to come in but there's no parking to accommodate them so we're having to go through a process to make that work so and there are processes for those kinds of things where you <clears throat> hit the wall um, but uh, yeah that's there's a, a, a whole lot, list of those sorts of things okay so so really a little bit of planning up front right if 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 for example you know you're, you're considering buying you know a, a multi-location building and you're going to put some tenants in there maybe build out a custom suite for yourself you know if you haven't done that the upfront work if you're not sure that the parking's going to support everything you can find yourself with a building that you actually can't develop the vision then exactly so, so when we start getting into the actual design project, who is the, the people involved, right? Who's going to be on our team, right? Who do we want on our team as we're starting down this road of acquiring real estate, doing development, and building out your own office? Well, obviously, we want the the dentist, the principal, um, and you know, we want to avail ourselves of their experience. Uh, as an architect, I know a little about everything and everything about nothing. So the first thing I have to do when I start designing a project, especially a, a space plan for a profession like a dentist, I have to put myself in their shoes. So I listen to them, what they want. I look at examples of, you know, I like this layout, um, those sorts of things. Some, you know, uh, dentists um, and specificities like, like open... Uh, sort of arena type arrangements, others like individual, you know, very private, privatized sorts of things. And um, so I've seen a lot of different ways and approaches to all of that. Um, the dental supplier uh, is obviously going to have a, a very big say. He's going to know, you know, all the things the dentist needs and, and exactly what the dentist does. It's similar to when I do a restaurant. I get a kitchen consultant that comes in and, and and I get a list of that's, you know, same with the dental supplier and a dentist's office, except they play probably an even bigger role in driving the whole thing. Um, then I will fold all of that information into the other things we talked about, the things you have to have, the restrooms, uh, the exiting being done properly, the waiting room, the right size, uh, a lot of those sorts of things and make sure that it fits, whether it's into a shell or onto a property um, and, and make sure that it works in those kinds of ways. Um, a lot of times we'll have, uh, depending on the delivery system, uh, uh, basically two different delivery systems for building something. One is design, bid, build, where I'm hired. I work with the owner. I come up with a set of plans. We then put those plans out to bid to several different contractors. That's design, bid, build. The other is design, build. And in many of those cases, the um, owner has actually hired the contractor first, and then the contractor will hire me and we'll team up in a 
design build contract. I mean, it's very specific that arrangement of, and you know what the the powers of the various entities are: the contractor, the architect, and the owner. But it it then becomes a partnership, and that's why I like it. Um, the contractor is far better at uh, controlling costs than the architect is. You know, the the architect and and the decisions made with the owner about the look of the suite. Um, tend to be surface things, you know, um, when you're talking about a plumbing fixture, there's a lot more, there's pipes and, you know, multiple pipes and valves and connections and all sorts of other things <clears throat> that come into it. And the contractor's the one who has to keep track of all those nuts and bolts. Um, so, and, and really architects make lousy cost estimators. But all of that said, <clears throat> um, in a design build scenario, you're locked into that general contractor. Uh, they may be able to get, you know, for example, most of them do what's called open book contracting, and they will get three bids in every trade. They'll get three plumbers, three electricians. So the owner sees the range of costs for each of those trades, and then they can pick one. But you're still married to that contractor, where in design bid build, you've got uh, multiple contractors bidding the whole enchilada, and I'm they're, uh, I'm guarding the hen house, as it were, uh, making sure that they're all bidding apples to apples and those gotcha. sorts of things. So I kind of run interference for the doctor in that situation. Gotcha. Right. So, so really, the, the, the way is to, to build something out. Right? There's design build, and then there's design build bid. So, so those are kind of the, the two ways that you do it, correct? Yep. Or design okay. bid build. Design build, bid, build bid. Yep. Bid and, build. And so what, Bid builds, yep. And so one of them is where the contractor is coming to you and they're, right, you can't replace that contractor. He may be getting bids on all the subcontractors, but like you said, right. they're not on the whole enchilada, so to speak. Right. Okay. Uh, is there a preference? Do you, do you see pros and cons of, of one model versus the other? Well, I think the early involvement from the contractor is, is helpful in controlling costs. Um but I also think that uh, uh, hiring a contractor is a lot like a marriage. So it has to be somebody you can really trust and um, maybe even had experience before. So, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily advise uh, uh, doing the first one design build. Maybe you do the first project design bid build and develop a relationship with a contractor and, and you find that one you can trust and then but but that's really the key. So it's it's really a question of how much do you trust that particular contractor, or you know you may not know a contractor, or you may just want to be sure you get the best price. So you know when you have three contractors and they're competitively bidding against one another, you know the best price uh, wins the day most of the time. So all right. Yeah, right. But you got to make sure you are comparing apples to apples because the, the right. Yeah, you have to make sure they're qualified. Yeah. And exactly. and again, that's uh, I'm, you'll find unscrupulous people in every trade. But, um, you know, uh, you'll find contractors that they might find something that's not right in the plans or um, left out of the plans and they will not say anything until they've been awarded the job. And then, you know, they, they sign the contract and the next piece of paper they hand you is a change order for, 
for what the architect forgot that that doesn't really fly um, shouldn't fly but they try it so okay all right so you know you've worked with a number of local dentists here in Bacon and there was one you were working with in building a generic building and really customized can you talk us through some of the, the, the challenges that you had during this project and, and how you overcame them and, and what some of the design considerations were when you were doing this? Well, I, um, when you're designing a commercial building shell, um, the considerations are pretty universal, not just to a dentist. I mean, you have to have visibility and ease of access and you have to feel safe and secure. Um, so that means a, you know, a, a parking lot where it's well lit and no lighting corners or, or things like that. Even in the nice parts of town, you have to do that but pretty much everywhere. Commercial properties have, and, and, and like a dental office, you may end up in the, in the winter, you know, getting out of there when it's dark or whatever. So you want a safe and secure, um, you get ease of access. It's got to be easy to find. It's got to be easy to park. Um, and then once you get inside the building, again, um, you kind of start out by laying out the site and ma making sure that the parking works, but, and you're then left with a, a buildable rectangle in most cases. But your next step then is to plug in that dentist's, you know, perfect suite in terms of the layout, minimizing steps, maximizing the function, making sure that he's got all the equipment that he needs and that the patient flow and that the staff flow um, is proper and good and uh, that you have all the all the things you need in that in that regard um, you know things properly segregated and you know keeping people out uh, patients out of where they're not supposed to be and and then also uh, making it um, calming for patients I know uh, I'm a nervous uh, dentist goer, uh, so I think anything you can do to make them light and airy and clean and uh, just again calming, uh, you know, a babbling brook, <laughs> whatever, uh, to to rest the patients. And um, again, I think the efficiency of the layout is beneficial to the staff and then when their particular space break room whatever that you're not stuck in a room with no window that maybe they're looking out onto some landscaping or uh, something like that uh, to make that downtime for them uh, beneficial okay so really little things like just a window in your staff room can, can make can really help you maximize the the quality of your your physical space when you're doing things I, I think so. I really place a high priority on uh, natural light. And I know uh, in a lot of dental environments, you have to be more controlled with that. But at least in your public spaces, where your patients are, where they're waiting, again, that's where that anxiety is, is building for some. Um, so whatever you can do to, you know, put a, some nice landscaping outside the window and uh, uh, well, right, and so often, you know, when the when the doctor is building, you know, the, the quote unquote office of their dreams, you know, their dream may be as simple as, oh, it's just a, a great place to work. Um, you know, I know you and I share a, a love of cars and, you know, we may hire a designer to build us a car and we're like, well, it's got to be fast and, and looks good. Well, uh, and then you push this and you're like, well, what looks good? And we're like, 
I don't know. I just, I, I know it when I see it. And so, you know, how much of your job is really focused on, on helping the doctor see things they might, might not be aware of, just like a window in a break room? Well, um, I don't know. We have some tools that we use. Uh, we do a lot of 3D uh, drawings early on in the process, both exterior and interior. Um, a lot of times the exterior will be driven by the context of the neighborhood. So if I'm, you know, doing an infill project where you kind of have a combination of older and newer buildings, I might do something that that leans uh, a little nostalgic. Um, if I'm in a more uh, area where everything's new, I might go a little more contemporary or blend in with whatever style. You know, you see a lot of uh, centers in California, especially that will have a little uh, Spanish flare mission type elements. So those sorts of things in a, okay. in a ground up scenario. Um, so in terms of selecting an architect, right? You know, you, the, our, our audience may be listening and think, oh, you know, I've got a neighbor or a buddy who's an architect. I, I'm <clears> sure they're just fine, right? Well, what, are, what are some some things that, that we can be asking or looking at, right? How do you vet an architect? How do you find that right partner to build your office? Um, well, there's a, the American Institute of Architects, uh, www.aia.org has kind of a section on their website about selecting an architect, but really um, I get most of my referrals by word of mouth. And I think it, uh, and again, because I just think, uh, because I've been around a long time and I've been in the commercial arena all of that time, uh, not really doing giant projects, but you know, small to medium size, the occasional giant project. Um, and I think, and I think of the other guys around town that uh, are doing dental offices as they come along and they're, they're pretty much in the same uh, situation I am. Uh, so I think, you know, if you find an architect that does commercial and, and again, if you're serious about finding one, just, you know, meet with them, talk to them on the phone, uh, look at their website if they have one, uh, figure out just how much they've done and, and how recently. Uh, uh, and how important the technology is in, in dental when it comes to selecting an architect? If they go, yeah, well, I've designed two dental buildings in my lifetime. Is that a good sign or is that a bad sign? I would say uh, you could probably find somebody that has done more but I would also say that it's not necessarily a bad sign, depending on where that architect has gotten their education. Um, you know, I think every project we do is is different. And again, in every situation, it's that putting ourselves in the shoes of the user of the building and figuring out what they do and retracing their steps. We would call it programming in architecture school where you're, you know, coming up with flow diagrams and, and those sorts of things. So we're trained to, to dive in and find those things out. Um, but um, so doing it the first or second time might not always be a problem, but um, you know, the more you do, the more you find the, the potholes as it were. And um, you know, you, you just learn little things, uh, the little idiosyncrasies. And again, it's that way with a dentist's office or a restaurant or a hotel, each uh, <clears throat> one of those different things. So we're trying to ferret those out as best we can. Yeah. Now, you know, most, 
Okay. Now, post-COVID here, right, is we're starting to, to enter really the recovery as we're starting to, to hopefully be on the tail end of this thing, as best we can tell. You know, the economic recovery seems to be, you know, impacting office space entries in different ways. So, for example, the tech industry, they've told a lot of their workers, you never have to come back. You, you can you can mm-hmm. stay at home. So, so we see some office space opening up there, whereas in healthcare. We haven't necessarily seen that because because no one's figured out how to do dentistry, you know, over a camera just yet. Right. No one can do a filling over a camera. You can certainly, you know, help some patients out and do some teledentistry, but it still requires in office work. And so what do you kind of see happening in the market post COVID? Do you see demand growing for medical and office spaces? Do you see consolidation? Right? What are what are some things that, that you've seen just in the general building space post COVID here and as we approach the recovery? Well, I, I think in the medical and dental arena, you're not going to see things shrinking, if anything. I think uh, as distancing and, and things like that become more of a priority and uh, PPE and sterilization opportunities. So we're probably going to end up with more hand washing sinks in, in those types of facilities and bigger storage rooms <laughs> and uh, some silly things like that, but not, I don't think a lot. Um, again, I think with proper masking and gloves and face shields, um, you know, I, I don't know. If anything, I would expect maybe exam rooms, uh, waiting rooms might get a little bit bigger. So you have a little more distancing opportunity, especially a waiting room. Okay. All right. Most dentists are pretty good about not stacking people one on top of the other. So yeah. So, you know, kind of coming back to, you know, j- just the overall building and, and design phase, you know, what's the right time for someone to engage you? For example, I was talking to some of my clients the other day. She has a very successful practice here in town, but she's leasing space. And, and they said, you know, Tim, we want to buy, buy something and, and develop it. And, and I said, well, you know, first step is you either got to find a building or maybe even look at existing practices that are for sale that include the real estate. But, but you know, at what point does it make sense to, to reach out to you and, and start engaging you in, in, in this design piece? Do we want to engage you when we first have the idea and we're looking at something? Do we want to come to you after our real estate has brought us a building? Right? What makes sense? Well, I, I think uh, that, that before you sign any sort of lease or purchase agreement, you need to give that design professional at least a, a look, you know, will, will this work? Is it the right size? Uh, is there enough parking? Uh, again, depending on the scenario, lease, purchase, whatever, all of those things would come into play in either scenario. So, uh, um, and especially a ground up, is, is the zoning all right? So there's a fair amount of due diligence that comes into either scenario, more due diligence in, a, in buying um, something in, and going from there as opposed to leasing. So. Okay, excellent. All right, and Steve, if someone wants to get in contact with you, how, how can they find you? How, how can we get in touch with you? Um, so uh, my offices are in Bakersfield, California, 2116 24th Street, Suite 2, and that's zip code 93301 in Bakersfield. Uh, my website is www.slkarchitect.com. Um, my phone number is area code 661-330-0785. And uh, my uh, email is slkarchitect.gmail.com. 
Okay, excellent. Any closing thoughts for us, Steve? I, first off, I want to thank you, right? You just, you, your wealth of knowledge, taking us through the design project. I, I know I certainly have a better understanding of what goes into it. And I certainly feel more confident if I were to approach this project, just knowing that, that there's people like you out there to really help us get through this, because sometimes yeah. it feels so daunting. So any closing thoughts for us before we sign off here? Um, I would just say, uh, um, that if you're going to do this to hire an expert and because as a dentist, you're going to be, uh, making a lot more money being a dentist than you are being a builder or a designer or a contractor. So, uh, also construction is very frustrating and aggravating. So insulating yourself from all that is probably a good idea. So just, you know, um, but find somebody that you feel like you can trust and work with them hand in hand. Let them deal with all the issues. You just deal with the good stuff, cutting the ribbon and, and moving in. And uh, keep an eye on that person, but um, don't get distracted from your work by, by uh, doing that. Excellent. Well, hey, Steve, thank you again for being an amazing guest, sharing your knowledge with us. And for those of you listening, you've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. I'm your host, Tim McNeely. We've had Steve Kiki today talking really how to design and build your ideal office. It's not enough to just listen to this. We want you to get out there. We want you to do it. And if you do that, you're going to make it a great day. Until next time, we'll see you soon. You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at dentalwealthnation.com. 